Welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bobbin Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you today from the Biff Burns College of Communications here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about the discovery of a tiny potsherd dating to the first half of the 15th century BCE from the site of Lachish in southern Israel. What makes this potsherd different are six little letters, possibly the earliest alphabetic inscription in the southern Levant. How does this change the story of the alphabet? from its humble beginnings as a knockoff of Egyptian writing? And are there still undiscovered early writing systems out there? And why did it take hundreds of years for folks to realize that this compact and economical information system was good for correspondence, accounting, and also writing transcendent national literature? Okay, so here's, here's the lightning round to begin this whole discussion about writing. What is your favorite, current favorite writing implement? Um, a a bloodstained rag? <laughs> Already with the hemming and the hawing. No, no, no. I was looking for it. It's a Pilot G-205. Mine is a Uniball Signo DX 0.38 with... Um, Purple black ink. I oh, love the I love the black. two tone ink. Interesting. Purple black. That. That's very nice. Yeah. <clears throat> Mine is this um, inexpensive but um, very very pointy. It's like point zero 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 one Japanese um, Japanese pen, and it makes this like micro line <laughs> that I like very much. <clears throat> How do you avoid ripping the paper? <laughs> Well, you know, I used to, there was a period, there was a period in my life, <laughs> this goes back some years, when, when I would only write with technical pens. Oh, oh I remember that period. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh I'm, I'm well versed in that. I, I have lots of reams of paper with that microscopic technical exactly. pen. And I, I really have, it's not something I've talked to my therapist about, <laughs> but, but perhaps I... Perhaps I should, you know, the trying to reduce one's self to the tiniest possible micro incarnation graphic yeah. graphification. I don't know. Or rotring days. <laughs> Something. Exactly. This is this is foreshadowing, I think, part of the serious conversation we're going to have because the <laughs> writing implement and the thing on which you are writing need to need to work together. Exactly. The medium is the message. <laughs> so, so really, I, and I don't know why, <clears throat> why are you writing on a piece of, <laughs> a piece of white slip two pottery? 
Isn't that like, oh, I'm going to take the most expensive stationery that I have <laughs> to write six letters on it? Well, maybe it was more of the, uh, you know, the white slip was nice writing surface. Creamy. Right. Creamy. Right. It's a, Creamy is good. Hey, hey, hon, do you mind if I use this pot? <laughs> if I break this pot and use it as ostrica? Because it really is a good writing surface. Well, I am assuming that it had already broken because because no one's going to let you use the old, uh, the, the new. Oh, that's a testable hypothesis. No, actually, it's the opposite of a testable <laughs> hypothesis. But really, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting premise. Yeah. And, uh, it sort of goes back to taking out the garbage that you just mentioned. <laughs> Don't take out the garbage yet. <laughs> I need to retrieve my scratches. Yeah. Right, I want to write something down. I want to write down six letters. <laughs> well, this is actually now I'm looking at the image itself, and it's actually a really nice sort of you know as if it was broken in a particular way, or perhaps just was selected for its nice almost square shape. <clears throat> or maybe they were just sort of throwing shade at the Cypriots, like. <laughs> Like this pot, this pot isn't even worth writing on. <laughs> I'm gonna break it. With shopping perfect. list on this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, another another testable hypothesis. But I wonder, uh, I wonder how many ostrica we're missing because we can't detect ink on on uh, base ringware. <laughs> mm, mm. That's true. <laughs> <clears throat> it's uh, but the whole question of missing ostrica. Man, uh, we've yeah. we've washed a lot of lot, washed away a lot of history over the years. Although I think we were all carefully taught not to, you know, to look at every shirt very carefully and not wash away the writing. Why on this night do we dip shirts in water twice? <laughs> right. <laughs> to dip but not to sprinkle. That is our you don't want to wash away those those ostrica. Right. Right. Well. Well, I don't know. I think that we would we would have come up with more, even with just a bunch of uh, idiotic uh, twenty and thirty year olds looking at these dopey things, if they had been there. Right. If so you're saying that we, you're saying that there aren't really that many. No, like, I don't think there are that many. That we didn't miss them. That uh... I think we missed a lot, but I don't <laughs> think we missed a lot of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a figurative and literal sense of exactly. uh, of washing things away. Exactly. Right. Right. The, the existential missing things, yes, to this day. <clears throat> but the literal, like, what is this stuff on the, doesn't look like mud, is that ink? <laughs> right. I think right. there's a... Well, the other, the other interesting thing, now that I'm just staring at this picture, which of course nobody listening to this can see, um, is that the ink is really the same color as the painting on the outside. Um, so, so it's an ensemble. It's an ensemble. <laughs> it's, it's an inscribed piece. I mean, maybe it isn't, but from this it's photograph. Bespoke. It is. <laughs> well, and that's something that the, that the authors um, didn't really consider as a possibility. Like maybe this was made to order. Yeah, just put a little inscription on there. <laughs> Make it out to maybe Nefet and what's the other one? Nefit. Maybe yeah. it's an artist's signature. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the artist is 
it, the artist called Servant of Nectar. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that guy, Ooh, what? you have one from that guy? Wow. <laughs> Let's contextualize yeah, a little bit. We have these two yeah. discoveries recently showing up in publications. One are these four uh, uh, cylinders, clay cylinders from Umal Mara in Syria. Very provocative stuff. Right, that uh, threatens to threatens to kind of trash the Canaanite contribution to, to global <laughs> history. Right. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and the other is this uh, in, uh, ostraca from Lachish <laughs> that uh, sets up a slightly different paradigm for the introduction of, of alphabetic writing to the Southern Levant. Right, and we should probably do a, a little didactic interlude. We need some kind of didactic music here to say mm -hmm. that according to the reigning paradigm, writing seems to have been invented in <clears throat> the minds of Sarabit al Khadam around the 12th dynasty. So what is that, uh, 18, 18th century BCE? And it also shows up in the Western desert of Egypt and the Wadi al-Hol around the 12th, 13th dynasty. So at the, in the first quarter-ish of the second millennium and right. hence the gap between that, those- Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. <laughs> the doors are closing. They're closing on you. Right. Exactly. And so a couple hundred years where there's not a lot of writing that's going on, really. Right. Anyway. Right. Well, there's, uh, writing, there's alphabetic writing. writing. Alphabetic, alphabetic writing. There exactly. you go. Yeah. I mean, if you're going right. to be didactic, then you right. need to add that there's been plenty of writing in Egypt since the third millennium, since the 2000s BC, and really? plenty of writing in Mesopotamia. Um, none of those are alphabetic per se. And uh, <laughs> as such. As such. But you know, I looked it up in, I went to the, to the record book. Yes. There are 91 objects in the Southern Levant that have cuneiform writing in the second millennium. And that includes 15 cuneiform tablets from Tanakh, from the site of Tanakh. Right. And, um, and when, behold it, 15 fragments of cuneiform okay. tablets. Okay. That, right. Uh, I mean, you know, let's. Let's be right. honest here. Everything is a fragment in the sun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all like taken out with the trash. 91 objects, as opposed to, <laughs> where, where are my notes here? Um, like 1,000 circa alphabetic cuneiform tablets from Ugarit, where the guys in Ugarit in the Northern Levant were like, yeah, okay, we'll take the cuneiform <laughs> writing system and we're just going to streamline it and we're going to write all this stuff in it. Right. And they're like chugging away, chugging away. Right. Southern grand, Levant, Bupkis. Right. The grand, the grand mashup in the Northern Levant. Well, they, <clears throat> so there's a couple ways to look at this. One is, is that writing is always the solution to a problem. So that's good. Right? It's a problem looking for a solution. <laughs> so, you know, you have a lot of accounting issues. You've got to figure a way to keep track of these accounting issues, writing. You have a lot of royal propaganda to dispense. So 
you know, you, you adopt some kind of writing system, you come up with a writing system. And that, that speaks to the issue of, of course, the Southern Levant, where, where they apparently <laughs> did not have any real problems, that, problems. Needed, <laughs> that needed an epigraphic solution. Right. Once, once every couple of years, they had to write a letter to the Egyptian king. Exactly. <laughs> And then they called like Gomer Pyle or <laughs> Jethro Bodine, who, who happened to know this, this cuneiform writing system and would write it out in, in this kind of hillbilly dialect. And, and that would suffice. Right. So this is exactly the problem, because obviously that doesn't suffice. So <laughs> Sufficed for a, like a millennium. Well, no, because, you know, they're interacting with Egypt and they're interacting with Mesopotamia and there's no way that they weren't writing because all their neighbors and trading partners were writing constantly. And, you know, they, they were writing. We just, we just don't have it. They were, but they could have been the slacker teenagers of the, of the Eastern Mediterranean. <laughs> That's exactly it. You know, I'm not writing anything. I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm above writing. I, yeah. I don't need this. Right. Right. I don't know. I'm working on satisfied me. All right. Well, let's, let's attack this a little systematically. So let's talk a little bit about the Umal Mara stuff. So okay. we we have these four little inscribed. I hesitate to use the word cylinders. They're called inscribed cylinders. Right. And the description of them is that they're pretty poorly made, and that they have a lot of as my colleague on this podcast said, a lot of squiggles. <laughs> That's the technical term. That's the technical language. And supposedly they come from a good mid third millennium context, right? I think they- They're in a tomb. Yeah, they're in a yeah. tomb and, and Glenn Schwartz dates them securely to around 2400 BC or 2300, <laughs> something like that. And the problem is that backs up the dating of an alphabetic script and an alphabetic system much earlier than anything that that was that Alex you mentioned earlier in the podcast. Sirib al Khadam, Wadi al Hol, dating to about you know the 18th century BCE. So we have that on on one side of the ledger, and I guess the comments that I want to make is there are probably a lot of writing systems floating around of which we have very little left over and that whatever was going on at Umalmara in these tombs was a pretty ephemeral um, you know si system it right. came and it went right. right sort of a little bit of a cul-de-sac right right um, but we have lots of examples right we have a little bit of Philistine or what we think is Philistine writing we have the Dear Allah so-called tablets or whatever they are, right? They haven't been deciphered. So we know that there are, we know we have snippets of undeciphered systems of writing floating around, certainly in the second, later part of the second millennium. Uh, and now we have a very early example of that. And, and I think that that probably makes a lot of sense that they were playing around with these kinds of things. And there were probably a lot of, you know, a lot of early Microsoft programs that, you know, <laughs> circulated very briefly and then got trashed. So, so um, the, the Umel Mara stuff is like beta. It just never quite yeah. caught on. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or it caught on in, for this one, you know, wealthy 
<clears throat> tuba city guy who, who got <laughs> into a tomb and, you know, as, as a right. homage to his life as a, as a tuba elite, he, you know, they put in these four little, little cylinders. Right, which are the size of a finger, apparently. Right. So we've got four fingers. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's got four fingers of alpha, proto-alphabetic writing. Right. And, and so what you're suggesting is that this process is repeated over and over and over again for like 1400 years. Like, I have this great idea for <laughs> how to reduce the, the, the cuneiform system, which is whatever, a thousand symbols. Yeah, I thought it was like over 600 symbols. And that's clearly not a really great system. And yet it lasted for a really long time. Right. That maybe that's what makes it a really great system. Exactly. It kept everything in a very, very chugging along. But it also oh. kept it in a very restricted area. Yeah. So knowledge was very, very restricted, and that made everybody at the top very happy. You had to be really, really smart to master cuneiform, and you had to have a whole lot of time in your hands to master. Well, I don't know. You you look at these cuneiform school tablets where where somebody is writing, you know, my kid is stupid. How come you're, I'm paying all this tuition. How come he isn't learning anything kind of thing from, you know, Mari or yeah. wherever. <clears throat> so but, I'm not sure it's, not sure it's that different from today in, in the sense that, you know, it's a, it's just an especially complicated system, but people were writing all sorts of particularly extravagant things oh jupiter is over there oh you know we have four shovels coming in into the warehouse oh you know i went to the underworld and, <laughs> and met uh, you know met the goddess it, it's very versatile well that is versatile but it's it's i don't know i don't want to learn 600 different symbols you're a girl so you, <laughs> your opportunities were a little bit they so were a little thought, bit limited. Yeah, well, as usual, no, I really wouldn't there. do well in the Bronze Age. Yeah. Um, but, and of course, it is very noteworthy that they learned these symbols without knowing German, because <laughs> you know, since the 19th century, you can't study Akkadian without knowing German first. Exactly. So, so there is that whole side of things. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that was going to go over quite that well. So, so that's on the one side of things. And I think the juxtaposition, and now let's talk about the other side because the other side is equally interesting. And the two really provide a, a it's a very interesting kind of, you know, relationship between the two. So the other is this, you know, this, uh, this ostraca from Lachish found on White Slip 2, found on imported Cypriot pottery that seems to be very securely dated to mid 15th century, 1450, plus or minus. Felix and Kat, yeah. the, whole point, the whole point of this excavation project is to securely date things. Everything. Everything, right. down everything. to the micro year. Right, everything gets securely dated to, right, a year. Right. In a series of small plastic bags and, and is perpetually, you know, preserved. So right. we have this inscription with two lines in a script that is not well defined. It seems kind of a, a little bit different than, I mean, it seems more advanced than proto-cyanatic, which is good because it's 400 years later. So they've, you know, they've learned something, but it's clearly, 
you know, um, anticipating any kind of, you know, Southern Levantine alphabetic system that is much more um, recognizable and, and well-known. Right. Well, we should also, well, so, so you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but, but at least the top line where it says the, the three letters that make up the word Evid or servant, that's readable, right? So that's, and, and in that, that inscription is more readable than the Um El Mara inscription. We should also point out that we're archaeologists. We're not epigraphers. So, um, and, and so we like, we, <laughs> we like, we like context and, um, we can talk. We can, you know, get to the context a little bit, but um, but it is it is some sort of middling in terms of time frame text, which is on the um, on, on the uh, milk bowl. That's 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 readable. That I might have said already. <clears throat> well, but let's go back to to Um El Mara, which if we haven't pointed this out before, is way up there in Syria. Right. So. <clears throat> The conventional story of the origins of the alphabet is that you have Semitic speakers, Semites, or as they would say in, in England, Semites, um, <laughs> who, are, who are looking at Egyptian hieroglyphs and hieratic, the, the sort of you know, script version. Let's add, little, on, let's add a little context. As they're toiling in the mines. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, down in the Sinai. They're toiling they're in the mines. toiling in the mines. They come above ground, and in, instead of knocking back a couple of, you know, Narmer pints, <laughs> they, they decide we're going to literize ourselves. Right. That, gonna... that has never made sense. That's always bothered me. Hasn't it bothered both of you that you've got these miners, these hard workers who are really just, you know, they're, they're the, the strong men, the laborers. And they're in this dangerous mining situation, but they're the ones who are writing. Exactly. Well, but that, but that's why they're writing because they're writing these inscriptions to their deity deities. Get me the hell out of this yeah. mine! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, please save me from this mine that the roof's going to cave in. Right. It doesn't exactly say that, but um, but they're Semitic speak. They're speaking a Semitic language. You know, Canaanite. West Semitic uh, dialect kind of a thing. And they're not <clears throat> um, North Semitic, East Semitic, whatever the Um El Mara folks are. Right. They have no reason to be exposed to any Egyptian scripts at all where you're copying a, a house and turning it into a Baita house. Right. Um, right. So it's a whole other weird pathway to taking symbols and turning it into sounds and turning it into um, phonemes. Uh, the other story made a lot more sense. This one does, the, the third millennium one doesn't make a lot of sense yet to me. Right, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense yet. Uh, it, only to say that there were probably a lot of competing systems out there. Right, I like that, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, you know, the, the ones that were most effective were the ones that became adopted. And that this one was probably a, a small little system that really went nowhere and right. <laughs> ultimately got buried in a tomb. Right. <laughs> right. Right. A certain pathway to going nowhere. <laughs> exactly. Right. Which, we've all, which we've all had, you know, our own personal experiences with. Right? <laughs> so we're pretty familiar with that whole thing. 
Um, one thing that's bothered me in the, the, the chatter I've read about the Um El Mara ones is yeah, exactly this, this, this supposed connection between Egypt and Syria. So you're talking about Egypt and Syria, but you're kind of leaving out the fact that Canaan is in the middle. And um, I think that that's something that you can't leave out. Um, you can't have influence from Egypt. Well, that's what it is without, uh, without well, understanding that it comes through Canaan. I suppose you can- It doesn't go through. Straight up. What? Yeah, I mean- It doesn't I, go through. It goes around. It goes, right, it goes up the coast. Right. It goes up the coast to Byblos and then over. I think that, that sort of makes sense. I, I think that makes a lot of sense because we know that Egypt is- ultimately circumvents the Southern Levant because overseas travel is much easier by boat. Um, I think that can work. <clears throat> I don't necessarily, in that, in the chatter about Um Al Mara, there is a lot of talk about connections between Egypt and the Northern Levantine coast and then on over into, you know, central Syria or however you want to phrase it. Yeah. And I think, I think that is, you know, th that's glossed over. That's just sort of like, oh, there are connections between Byblos and Ebla, and thus there must be connections also possibly between Umalmara and Ebla and Byblos. And I, that I'm not so sure about, um, because I think if those kinds of connections were happening, we'd have either more than four cylinders or, there, or, or we wouldn't have any of these cylinders. I think these things are really kind of, you know, a, a one-off. I don't necessarily know how they can be, you know, put into the current typology of things. Right. And but they're, I think not, that, but they're not cuneiform inspired. Right. right. They're not cuneiform inspired. And they're not directly Egyptian inspired. Right. Right. I just think it's, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, let's say, you know, uh, less than a thousand years later at Byblos on the Northern Levantine coast, in the chancellery of, of this big, very, very organized city-state, some guys and gals, no doubt, um, are sitting around and going, cuneiform, what the hell, man? This is way too complicated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not doing this. And they boil it down to whatever it is, like two and a half dozen cuneiform-inspired symbols and they're gonna and they write and they're over a thousand tablets in alphabetic cuneiform and they you can you mean at ugarit you said at, at ugarit right and they're they're writing to other people and it's right. and yeah. the language is it ha, reflects other languages that are in this very dynamic multicultural kind of northern syrian environment right on well, the southern levant nothing nothing yeah. it's like right. You know, call call um, Jethro Bodine. We have to write a letter to the king this year. <laughs> that's it. Right. And so that's that speaks to the second big issue, which we can once again, you know, sort of get back to the issue of pace, intensity, and scale. And in the Southern Levant, the all of those, pace, intensity, and scale are diminutive at best. And there's certainly no level of intensity because we... Because as you've already, you've sort of given us the whole catalog of cuneiform tablets found in the Southern Levant, and it's a very, very small number. They don't need um, cuneiform. They're doing it their own way. Well, I'm, no, but I'm just talking about the scale of writing. Me too. They're, they're writing. 
they're using cuneiform, but it's on a minuscule scale. And we're not getting it in terms, of, we don't get any tablets or any evidence for the use of any juridical tablets or any, you know, list of toponyms, which suggests taxation systems. We get none of that. We get no real economic texts and we get no body of juridical texts. So two of the biggest components in cuneiform archives are missing in the Southern Levant, which is all a way of just, you know, saying again, what Alex mentioned earlier is they're not writing a lot and we've done enough excavation right. to be perfectly yeah. aware of that. All right, so this, I, I've this been is... waiting my whole life for, for right. somebody to find the archive right. at Hatsor. Right. right. It's I not just your life. You know, there are, there's a generation of scholars of older than us who have been waiting their whole lives. Right. That's yeah. all true. That's all true. And but do you guys want to just allow for the possibility of them writing on something perishable? Because unlike Egypt, um, you know, they're not going to to put their their writing in well sealed tombs that are going to last all this time. They're going to be writing on maybe parchment or something that uh, might simply largely have vanished because man, what if they're just storing it in a palace and a palace gets burned? And um, I, I recognize well, that we should have found some trace of it somewhere, but- You do, you do have um, wax boards. Aha. Uh -huh. so you have the, have the wax whoa, 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 it's not an aha board. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down there, sister. <laughs> wax, wax boards, they're like uh, the, these little you know, frame picture frames. You put some, you put some wax on it, and you write your cuneiform inscription in it, and then you can essentially or your it. alphabetic inscription in it. Or you're out. You can write whatever the hell you want. I don't really care. And, but there's no indication of those. You have. You actually, I think there's one at, at the Ulu Barun shipwreck. Right. There is, and there are these. We have all of these ivory cylinders from all over the Southern Levant that for a long time were just interpreted as ivory cylinders, but now we think, oh, these are the ivory cylinders that are basically holding the hinges together on these wax tablets. So there could, that exists. Yes. Absolutely. So yes, Rachel, that was a good point you made. Thank you. And, and that absolutely exists. <laughs> but, right. So the, so the, the, the wax, you've now waxed eloquently about this. <laughs> And okay, but how much are they? How much are they writing? So let's. But let's go back. We have all these late Bronze Age palaces. We have all these Middle Bronze Age palaces in yes. the yes. Southern Levant. Yes. So all these late Bronze Age palaces, and they're right. You know, they have their city states, so called, and right. the Egyptians Ooh. are waxing. Uh, eloquent about them because they're, oh, they're slipping from our control. They're a bunch of ne'er-do-well. Yeah. Okay, uh, are they writing all of this on wax? Come on. No, so I think this gets to the other issue, which is even if they're using something perishable, and I don't think, I think the wax tablets, the wax books are in the same category for the Southern Levant as tablets, that the cuneiform tablets, that we have them, but that they're still, in terms of quantity, very small. Right. Because, and they're not administrative. That's not how these palaces and everything else are being administered um, in terms of accounting. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna now back it up even a little bit earlier to return to 
um, the early Bronze Age, <clears throat> and at um, oh, of course, I just forgot the name of the site. What's his name? Pierre's site. Uh, the big Yarmouk. Yeah, Yarmouk. So I always thought that Yarmouk was a very, very good example of how you could have a very large, complex urban site in the Southern Levant, contemporaneous with the urban civilization societies of Mes the literate societies of Mesopotamia and Egypt, in which there's no accounting, there's no permanent method of accounting going on, but clearly they administer a large area with lots of resources because they build this huge complicated city, but they don't need an accounting system to track all of the economic and all of the juridical information that Mesopotamia and Egypt need to track. And so that sort of sets the bar for the Southern Levant. Like however they keep it in their heads, accounting wise, you know, whatever kind of crazy string theory kipus that they're using. Right, I was about to say. Right, exactly. That they have another way of doing it. I just that have a hard time with that. I just really do. I mean, you have a really complex administrative system. You have to be writing things down. And you also need sort of legal proof. You can't just say, oh, it's in this guy's head. You need to like be able to show, you know, you didn't give me 20 sheep when you promised me 20 sheep. And I hear it's like written contract. And it really bothers me that, you know, I, I really think there had to be a system. And then the other thing is if we jump Well, ahead, I think there was a system. It just wasn't a permanent system. It wasn't a system that left a material oh, okay. uh, remains. No, I agree there was a system. I'm, okay. just, I'm just saying that it was in some degrees, to a certain degree, it was, it was ingeniously different than, than Mesopotamia or Egypt and that it was kept in a very different way that didn't leave any material record. So you're saying there was there was writing or? No, there was a system. I don't system, right. invisible yeah, writing. I heard that, I heard that, right. Right. Um, and that system- But let's that, also give you what, what they did have in the third millennium. They had pot marks, which was like one stroke, two strokes, three strokes, four strokes. Right. And they had they had these, these um, seals and which they rolled out Unlike anybody else in the ancient Near East, they rolled it out on the on the shoulders of the pots. Right, but not a lot of pots. <laughs> like a hundred pots altogether. Exactly. Over, over right. a thousand, you know, a thousand years. So right. uh, either they have very good memories, or there's not a lot of information that they had to process. Or they had a different system. Or they had a different system that the likes of which we can't really quite imagine yet. Okay, you guys are both really bothering me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that- I need to- like, I need to- been after like 35 years, okay? Well, so. that's very true. <laughs> but look, I need to take it from a different angle, okay? Let's okay. go to the late Bronze Age and early Iron Age. When you do okay, have- let, let, Let's, for our listener, let's, let's specify when that is. All right, so, so the second half of the first millennium. Um, and, and into the, well, no, I'm sorry. The, yeah, the, the second half of the second millennium. Thank you. The second half of the second millennium and into the first millennium. Yeah. Okay. So, so then in these periods, you have enough inscriptional material coming out of Canaan and Israel when it becomes Israel, right? So you don't have a huge amount of writing, but you do have enough inscriptional material. Like it's a, it's hold a, it, a no, hold it. I just need to ask a question. Enough for what? <laughs> <laughs> enough, 
enough so that epigraphers can call it a real corpus. We're not just talking about those guys. Uh, we're not just talking about like 12 inscriptions found over a period of 100 years. We're talking about a couple of hundred. Didn't one of you give a number before? I don't remember. Um, that a whole bunch of inscriptions have come up from, from this area in the late bronze and, and iron age. So we have, and they're doing stuff like marking pot handles of, of lamellic jars, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a period when we do have a lot of writing, but you know what? We don't have monumental inscriptions from that time period either. And if we go back a little bit earlier, if we go back to the late bronze age, we go back to the 1300s, when we know the kings of Canaanite cities are writing long letters in cuneiform because they're writing in cuneiform when they're writing to the king That's of the Egypt. Thing. They're writing one letter a year. No, they're writing more than that. And, and, not doing, and as we now know, they're not doing the writing. They're going to Gaza and they're, they're you know, working through the Egyptian administration. Right. They're going to like mailboxes, etc. <laughs> right, and they're, you know, they are perfectly well aware of writing. Okay, that's that's the point I'm trying to get across. They're I'm perfectly, perfectly well, well aware, aware of quantum theory. That doesn't mean that I'm, <laughs> you know, doing it. I don't know if you're perfectly aware. You're aware. There's <laughs> an awareness. Yeah, I challenge you to define it. But uh, but they are they are aware of writing, and they're doing it to a limited extent. So they understand the value of it, and that's why I think that there is some sort of perishable material on which they were writing. Oh, this is, oh, you're getting back to that. I'm getting back to that. I'm saying that I even see. in the late Bronze and Iron Age, when they were definitely aware of writing, they weren't doing a lot of it in a form that we found. So, so I'm just saying that we're not finding, we, yeah, I know we've been excavating for like 140 years, but. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna find it one of these days. I, I, re I realize this is a problem, but I'm not giving up hope. So in other words, there are archives, but they were on perishable material. That's and therefore saying. this whole hunt for the archive at Hatsur is completely misspent or misplaced. Um, they're uh, looking for clay tablets and you're saying it's all been destroyed because they're parchment scrolls or papyrus scrolls. Yeah, let's go they're with that. I am also hoping that they are going to find some clay tablets one of these years, but um, now, that's the ship has sailed on the clay tablets. All right, then. Enough of Lachish and Megiddo and Hatsor and Gezer has been turned over, over and over again. Literally, Gezer was turned over completely, right. you know, by McAllister. Right. So <laughs> the amount has all the, the basic corpus of cuneiform tablets from those sites is the baseline is established. So and the fact that Beit Shemesh has been beautifully excavated right. and they excavated an entire intact half of the palace and they found all of the commodities being stored and all sorts of other things. And again, a very small number of cuneiform tablets to me suggests that the, the hunt for the cuneiform, the hunt for the clay archives that's right up there with the hunt for the, you know, a snipe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So then back to wax, uh, wax tablets or wax boards or something similar. Nope. Um, you can be, you can be writing on, you can be writing on unbaked clay, letting it dry and then it completely deteriorates. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. And, and I, it's. As that would be a zippy the pinhead kind of solution. I think. <laughs> no, like, I no, no, no. 
now. I, oh, right. I, I realize it's far-fetched. I do realize that. I want to get that right out there. But but I I'm I will continue to be bothered by the fact, and I can will continue not to accept that um, writing just passed these people by as a useful system when they knew about it. I mean, that's the thing, they knew about it. Even in the early things, Bronze Age, there was enough contact with Egypt. I I think that they didn't have a need for it. If they had a need for it, then they, they knew how to do it. We'd, they'd be more loquacious about the whole thing. They, they were exposed to, to writing from about 3500 BCE onward. Right. And they wrote nothing. I don't <laughs> believe they wrote nothing. I mean, they, it just doesn't they make show, sense. They showed no indication okay. for close to um, 2500 years that they needed to write anything down at all, period, okay. of any sort, except to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make one slash on this pot and I'm gonna make two slashes on that pot. Okay, Rachel, let me, let me throw this at you. Okay. This is a very personal way of looking at this. <laughs> suppose, suppose I was a Canaanite elite, based yeah. on my publication record. <laughs> There would be nothing written down from my palace for a really long time, like my entire lifetime. <laughs> and if there's any genetic continuity in my progeny, that tradition of not writing things down would perpetuate for my entire dynastic line. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, all right then, along with what you were saying before that they had some sort of other elaborate system, um, well, you know, here's your, 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 your line will be recording itself on podcasts. Of, of another system. Right. So right. Well, right. They could have, you know, they could have, hey, how about all the tokens, man? We've got, we've got tens of thousands of, to of little, of little, uh, you know, ceramic stoppers, not tokens, stoppers. Stoppers. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe they were, you know. This is how we Tabulating. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they were go masters of the, of the, of the Middle Bronze Age. Maybe all the Before uninscribed, uh, uninscribed, nicely, nicely shaped pieces of pottery that we've been finding all these years once upon a time had ink or maybe it's invisible ink. Well, that that's entire that's entirely possible. Yeah, that, that would be your best line of inquiry. OK, Is I'll go with that. I'll go with that. that. And it ink. may be possible here in the 22nd century to use you know, tricorder-based archaeology, multi-spectral <laughs> terahertz imaging. Wait, in the 22nd uh, century? Is it, yeah, that's where we... Is that, <laughs> and, and you'll be able to, like, look at the surfaces of these potsherds probably without even excavating. Right. You can find ink traces and your artificial intelligence-based archaeology system A-I-A-S, oh, A-I-A-S, <laughs> um, we'll be able to, to read these things. But, you know, according to our current um, state of understanding, they didn't write nothing. All right, right. since, since I clearly lost this, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, you go. No, I was going to say, since I clearly lost this part of the, the argument, um, I, thought, I thought I'd turn the conversation. But before I do that, go ahead and say what you were going to say. Well, I was going to turn the conversation also. I wanted to turn the conversation to the gap that uh, is, is being discussed regarding the Proto-Sinaitic script, the emergence of that around 1800, and then this long gap, and then the initial foray into more 
alphabetic uh, by this new um, ostraca at Lachish. So I wanted to talk about the gap and what that might represent, but what did you okay, want? So what I wanted to talk about was the fine spot of the ah. least one. Yeah, because you know what, we are archaeologists, not epigraphers, so we should at least talk about the, the fine spot. So how about we do the, well, how about Alex arbitrates and decides which one we do first? I'm going to cut it in half. <laughs> no, do the fine spot, Rach. You can okay. do that. Do so, so as far as I can understand, it was found, um, this, this um, shirt with the writing on it, <clears throat> was, was found um, in um, a palace or, or in, a, in a monumental structure is what I think they've been calling it. Um, there's this big building with big walls. And I think it is like south of, or north rather of the gate area. And um, it was found right next to a wall with a very clear context. And that's how they know that it dates to the the um, 15th century. Um, the it was found next to burned barley. And they to burn right, right. were able to take C14 samples from the barley and they dated the barley to 1450 and the association of the sherd to the barley uh, in a very you know, secure stratigraphic location gave them the date. Right. And I, I don't think there can be, I think that's all fine. That's, I think that's, that's fine too. And yeah. I think it's interesting that it's in this monumental structure and I immediately went to palace, but I don't think anybody is saying is saying palace in particular, but you know, here you do have a sample of writing in a big building, which is some sort of public public building. Um, well, but so it's also useful to point out here that at the site of Lachish in Southern Israel, um, there are other alphabetic-ish and Egyptianized-ish examples of writing, alphabetic writing from this period and slightly later. Right, and, from, and some uh, of those, and if you notice, there's a real clustering in sort of the 16th, 15th centuries, this right. MBLB, yeah. you know. Right. And, and let's also note here, my own little personal pet peeve, is that there's no archeological distinction between the MB and the LB writ large that that's a historical distinction. Right, right. right? Based, on, based on battles and based on Egyptian imperial policy and all of those kinds of things. If you look at pottery from the 16th century, I think that you shouldn't be saying MB3 or whatever you wanna call the MB3 or LB1, you should be calling it it's 16th century because it's, you know, to call it MB3 or LB1 is not really saying anything. Who knows, well, when the starts, who knows when the MB3 ends, because it's, those are historical distinctions, not archaeological ones. That's, that's fair. And from an archaeological point of view, there's, there's a sort of nice gradual transition in pottery from the shapes of the late Middle Bronze Age to the shapes of the early Late Bronze Age. Exactly. So, yeah. is, is this where I take my shoe off and start banging it on the table about the fact that there's no bronze in the early Bronze Age? <laughs> If you'd like. No. I, I think you should save that for an early Bronze Age podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll do one of those soon. Um, so, wait, what was the point? You were talking about context. So we, right. have, we have a shirt, one shirt, right. with two words <laughs> found in a big building. Right. And for Canaan, for Southern Levant, all of that qualifies 
for a million articles immediately about <laughs> you know, the emergence of the alphabet and the importance of literacy. And in any other part in, of the Near East, in the Northern Levant, in Egypt, in Mesopotamia, probably even in Cyprus, certainly in Anatolia, that would get not a lot of attention. Right. Well, like you were saying before, it's all a matter of scale and, and sort of regionality. And this is smaller scale and we get excited about less. We're very excitable. <laughs> yeah. We're excitable people. But I do like the fact that, that one of the two words is almost certainly part of a name, right? It's this theophoric servant of, and, and that gives it a nice little ring to it. Um, <laughs> And I don't know. All right, so what do you guys want to say about the context? I've brought up the context. Now I want to hear what you all think about the context. Well, right. I think what's interesting about the context is that here's another example of an alphabetic experiment from a site that has several items that have Egyptian-like alphabetic experiments over a long period of time, over, you know, a couple, two, three centuries. But there- You're, That one sentence was more verbiage than has been written in the entire 16th and 15th centuries. I, I pride myself on, <laughs> on the verbiosity of, of the sentence of my sentences. Of the sentience. No, no sentience. <laughs> Just, well, just, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, you're right. They're Egyptians that's... down there, they're exposed to Egyptians, they're early, they're later, they're right. pre-imperial, they're imperial, they're yeah. domineering and nasty, they're like obnoxious and hanging around. Right. And they, you know, and the locals are like, huh, they have a writing system. Maybe, <laughs> what can we, maybe we can imitate this for our own language in our own brief kind of way in our own laconic right. in our own very laconic utterances right. we don't have much to say but we're, <laughs> we're right. going to so say it very infrequently so you're saying that lachish was some sort of 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 early center for bits and pieces bits and bobs no, see, right? and that's exactly how these kinds of ridiculous <laughs> things get get invented that's why i couldn't quite Early alphabet. I couldn't because <laughs> we have four examples over five hundred years. Right. Um, All right. So and then we invent some kind of uh, some kind of backstory to go with it. I, I just thought you were saying that. I certainly wasn't saying that. <laughs> Literally said it. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, okay. So let me let me throw this out because yeah. I'm more interested in this whole business of about a gap. How Let's do we go to the gap. This big gap. Let's follow and how do we that. explain? I think there's two things. One, there's a big gap, and two, Lachish does seem to be some kind of center <laughs> for for laconic utterances. See, now you can't not say it. That's about as far as I'm willing to go. But um, I think the gap actually supports your idea, Rachel, of of them writing in, in other you know perishable methods that we can't have a three to four hundred year gap between Cerebrid al-Khadam and Ahol, where clearly they're inscribing sherds in you know, this proto-Sinaitic script, right. and then nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, you know, this, this 14, in 1450, they come up with you know, the, the last stage of that tradition right. before we get into kind of an alphabetic system. 
Um, and I think that does support the notion that there must be connective tissue in yeah. that 350 year period. That's uh, great. So I didn't lose the argument completely. No, I don't think you did. Actually, no, I don't think you did lose the argument. I think that- um, Everyone's a winner. <laughs> or, or in the case of the Southern Levantic, everyone's a loser. You know? um, where is that connective tissue? Why, why is it taking so long? Why do we have to excavate everything from Lachish to find this connective tissue? What is going on with that? And that's where I think then we get again to the fact that they're writing at a very small scale. So I'd like to be Hegelian and say there's a synthesis here of the two points or the two, you know, uh, perspectives that there has to be some connective tissue. We can't have, you know, perpetual uh, <laughs> explosion, you know, mini explosions of writing and then nothing. So there has to be connective tissue, but that they're also writing at a very, the, the production of writing is at a very, very small level. Right, right. I think that that's, I like that. I like that a lot actually. And the other thing I'll say is, is like, let's not, count out the Southern Levant. Like everybody always wants to ignore it because it's so small and it's got nothing in it, um, but we shouldn't do that. It can but still- we don't do that. The Southern Levant gets so much attention <laughs> in the archeology. span It's got societies, it's got journals, popular journals, it's got professional journals, it's got a million archeologists working in it. They are <laughs> uncovering tons and tons of stuff. I think that the Southern Levant gets extraordinary an extraordinary amount of attention. Okay, that's 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 true on one level, but then and this is the subject for another day. Then you have you know the 19th century Babel versus Beeble, people discounting the Southern Levant, and you've got biblical minimalists, and you've got all sorts of people who are trying to to encounter trying that. to put us down, man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I submit to you, the revolution will be written down on, in clay. Right. Or on wax. <laughs> exactly. All right. It went up in smoke. Okay. No, they didn't have a lot to say. And, 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 oh, and if we go a little bit later, when well, the, when the Greeks got the idea? Well, no. I, wow. Actually, Alex, let's, let's turn to a point that you made <laughs> in private correspondence, which is they had nothing to say for a long time that they didn't have the necessity to have some kind of permanent system oh, right. uh, that was, you know, well established in the two societies that they knew very much about, but that later in the, you know, by the ninth and eighth and seventh centuries, all of a sudden, they couldn't shut up and <laughs> to the production of a huge corpus of material of which we don't have the original sort of autobiographical textual evidence for, but we have the, you know, later iterations. And that of course is script Hebrew Bible scripture. Right. Right. And all of these other contemporary societies in, in the Levant, Northern Levant, Syria, the Arameans, all these guys, uh, and in Anatolia, contemporaneous, They've all got their own wacky writing systems. None of them, and they're writing stuff down, but none of them came close to writing these kinds of national literatures from the creation of the world all the way to the, the creation of the people all the way to the national history of 
of the state and the people. Right. So uh, it's sort of heard of, but maybe they, they, irony. Did, they did. Right. It's an irony. It's irony, and it's sort of like the kid who never talks. You know, <laughs> what's the matter with my daughter? She never <laughs> says anything. She never says anything. Age two, age three, age four, age five, never says anything. And all of a sudden, at age nine, it's just a you know flood of material. Right. Right. Quiet, right. right. That's that's it. That's it exactly. Right. So they were so. keeping their powder dry, and they had very modest economies, so that they didn't need elaborate accounting systems or permanent accounting systems. The temple institution has to be written with a small I because the institution was not like big institutionalized temples in Mesopotamia or Egypt. They were very 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 small scale events where you know who knows maybe you know. Temples were left empty for a hundred years and then someone came in and swept them out. And I don't really care how many shovels you're going to sign out to today for your work you tell. It's take fine. It take right. whatever you want. Could you just leave a shank bone or something for the priest. Right. <laughs> right. And and then all of a sudden there is this oh. explosion of material. Yeah. Uh, in which right. they create uh well, it's, but it's interesting because clearly the Hebrew Bible in terms of genre is based on a long tradition that we know very well from Mesopotamia. Right. Um, but in the way that they do it and in the way that they replicate that material generation after generation, um, that's innovative. They brought it all together and then they brought it on home. <laughs> right. And, and then they got exiled. We got the Testament, <laughs> and we're we're still reading it today, and we're still using the the descendant of the writing system. Right. Exactly. Nice. So you know, right. don't right. count right. out that kid. Right. Tortoise That's and right. That's right. Exactly. And we've gotten through this entire podcast talking about writing without mentioning the alphabet without mentioning the Phoenicians once. So I just thought I'd put them in there. Guys, here we go. They don't need yeah. our help. Well, that's true, they don't. And they didn't come along till after this whole alphabet was invented anyway. That's right. They borrowed it and they passed it on. Okay. All right, and there you go. And there you wow. go. I think we solved that. I think so. Well, that was oddly satisfying. As always, we'd like to thank Eras Dessel and his big band for our theme music. And we'd also like to thank our sponsor, Gutenberg & Sons Printers of Mainz, South Dakota. Whether it's something as short as a wedding invitation or as long as a family Bible, Gutenberg and Sons use the latest technology to make your dream a typographic reality. To get in touch, use the alphabet or some other writing system. To leave us a comment, send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 021. Three, four.